Hello and welcome to another emergency pod episode of The Book of Sports, a podcast where two Christian sporting nuffies talk about the relationship between Christianity and sport. Today, I'm your host, Tim School, and with me, as always, is Nathan. Happy New Year, Brewer. Welcome, Dogger. <laughs> Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Hope you're going okay. Doing very well. I've, uh, I've, I've been a positive COVID case, and I'm now back mm-hmm. in action, out and about. Um, I've, I've served my mandatory isolation period, so um, <laughs> come at me, world. Omicron's got nothing. Yeah, that's right. You've you've seen and you've conquered COVID, so congratulations to you. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and you, you've been in isolation yourself, Nathan. Yes, two separate weeks of isolation, close contacts, but um, my booster shot has... Haven't won the war in the way you have, but so far uh, the booster shot has, has fought off COVID altogether. So, um, yes, I've been lucky in that regard, but still spent lots of time in isolation. So plenty of time to think about uh, 2022's year in sport, I think. Indeed, and plenty of time for you to prepare for our Believers versus Persevere Wentz Training Expert 11 <laughs> match, which you beat me at last night. So um, I'm not feeling too bad about that because you had plenty of isolation time to make sure your tactics were spot on. Hey, Nathan, this is our second emergency pod over summer. We're in the middle. Last time there was an Ashes preview pod. We both mm. tipped a 3-1 win to England. Oh, Australia. Australia. Mm-hmm. Sorry, 3-1 win, win to Australia over England. It is still technically possible. <laughs> but as we record this, it's T on day two of the fourth test. Australia are up. 3-0, mm. and they're looking pretty good, all things considered, in this test. Uzi Kawaj has just brought up his ton in the over before T, and uh, Australia will declare in about an hour's time, you'd think, yeah. before um, having a crack at England this evening. I'm mm. at the test tomorrow, as nice. it pans out, so I'd like to see... I, I reckon what I would like is just have um, maybe a rain delay now, and then Australia just sort of put on some quick runs for half an hour tomorrow and then come out and um, see England all out tomorrow. That'd be, that'd be my, that'd be my, my dream solution from here, but um, yeah. we'll see what they happens. Might, they might be all out tonight if they get in the bat and with their they could be. Forward, but um, <laughs> you might be watching their second innings. Yeah. Uh, I'd take that. <laughs> I'd take that. I'd take that. Nathan, we are, we're here to discuss 2022, the mm. year that is ahead as a forward looking person as someone who is always eager to consider what the future holds for you and for everyone else uh, mm. i'm going to get your top three sporting moments that you're looking forward to in 2022 i'll give my top three as well we're also going to give a personal sporting uh goal mm-hmm. for the year something that we're hoping to achieve or looking forward to achieving and once we've done that we are going to be thinking about why it is that we as people are so eager to look forward to the things that are ahead of us. The common advice, live in the present. Others say live in the past. Where does hope for the future come in? Where does Christianity fit into that? That's what we're talking about, talking about today. So let's get straight into it. No time for obscure stats today, Nathan. They'll come back in season two. Looking yes. forward to that. But let's start with your third most anticipated sporting event Ooh. of 2022. Nathan, happy new year, Brewer. What do you got for us? <laughs> the reason why it's third and it's not number one, um, 
is because it's one of my favourite sports to watch, but my favourite man, LeBron James, won't be in these. But uh, month of June is uh, NBA Finals. I love me some NBA. Love the finals. And normally that would be right up there, number one. But my man, LeBron, and his Lakers are very, very average. I think they'll be done in April. But um, still love the NBA, still love watching it. So LeBron won't be there. but um, So that knocks it out of the number one spot that that... Um, they still maintain uh, its spot in num- at number three. So NBA Finals, um, hopefully, um, hopefully someone I, I like. Like I, I liked, I was very pleased with Giannis winning last year. I like him. So you know, it wasn't LeBron, but it was someone I was happy with. So I'm hoping a small market team or an underdog who hasn't won before uh, can sneak up through the ranks and steal it. Even though it won't be my man LeBron this year. That's a good point. I I, I didn't uh, actually consider too much the world of American sport when coming up with my three, two, one. But I am eagerly anticipating the um, the NFL playoffs because mm-hmm. the Arizona Cardinals will be in there, and they've had a little bit of a shaky month, but um, they'll be there. And if things click, they could be a, could be a force, potentially even sneak into the Super Bowl. We'll see what happens. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, COVID's been running rampant through the NBA. Mm-hmm. Yes, it has. Yeah, which has um, resulted in some low quality regular season games. But one positive is that guys who haven't been able to crack the league are getting shots. So guys who've been toiling away in the G League, the second division, are sort of getting a chance to come up and show their skills in the NBA. So that's been a positive. Uh, yeah, but the negative is you're in the you're in the doldrums because it's an 82 game season. So games 25 through 70, you just got no interest in it at all. So you're already in the dog days of the NBA season, and, and it's an even lower quality product. So um, yeah, so it's not been ideal, um, but I think players players aren't really getting bad symptoms or anything, so it's not affecting them too much health wise. And it looks like it will have done its damage. And by the playoffs, hopefully. Um, Omicron is sort of done and, and the teams can be at full strength and, and ready to go. So in some ways, yeah. it happening now is probably good timing. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a new variant to worry about come the uh, come that time of year. Um, your number two, Nathan. So we've got NBA playoffs in third place. What have we got in um, second? No, second. This um, It's going, we're switching to Europe here um, and um, we're going to the Champions League uh, football. I think um, Liverpool, they need to win a title, but I don't think it's going to be the Premier League now. Man City have really opened up, really opened up a big, big gap um, over Chelsea and Liverpool and and Chelsea and Liverpool drawing on the weekend was bad for both teams. Um, Would have been better if they just teamed up and decided on one team to go and chase, but that's all right. And so... A bit of game theory, Nathan. (laughs) Are you familiar with with game theory as an economic uh, theory? I know. I mean, I've I've heard of it, but I don't know it. So explain it to me. So the principle is now... We're going back many years in my education here to try and make sure I nail this. So no doubt there'll be listeners who, uh, no doubt there'll be listeners who um, correct this. But you can have situations where two parties, say two competing firms, could um, both charge higher prices. Mm. Right. This is in like a duopoly sort of scenario where they're the only real two firms that compete in a particular industry. They could both charge higher prices and they would both make more profit. But because they want to beat one another, they end up 
trying to undercut, undercut, undercut. They both end up charging lower prices. They both make less profit than they otherwise would purely because they're competing against one another and it's in a game. Whereas if they colluded, yes. you know, they'd be able to, to get on the winning end. So, you know, you know, so if you've got a back-to-back tie in a um, Premier League fixture, the teams could square off and say, look, rather than simply going two draws, yes. we'll take the win the first time. You take the win the second time. We both get three points as opposed to two. Excellent. Yep. Game theory hits the Premier League. It does. Yep. It's um, it would have been smarter because one of them, like Man City, I think already had an eight point lead, and so um, and a game in hand, and so you know, in terms of someone catching Man City, it would have been really good for one of them to just go for it, and then anyway. But now they've, I think Liverpool and Chelsea have drawn two games that they've played now, so they've taken maximum damage off each other. Um, so they both lost four points. So it's um. Yeah, not well played. But anyway, there's an instance um, in our, I mean, there's a very laughable instance in our Expert 11 League where two mates colluded together and got themselves two draws rather than a win each. And we looked and laughed at them and it was two pretty smart guys. So um, it was pretty hilarious how dumb their strategy was. But anyway. It's worth saying as well, if someone, if if you're in this scenario and someone invites you to take part in a game theory, always say, we'll win first. (laughs) True. Because even if even if you're genuinely committed to the whole thing, because the whole point of game theory is that the competition and the uh, the allure, the allure of winning out is too strong that they're not going to behave properly either time, and so you can't really trust them. So yes. make sure you get the win in first, and then you can try and yeah. You know, then if you win, you get a win and a draw. Hey, you might have lost their respect, but at least you got four points. That's right, so that's right. and if it means you win the title, then it's worth it. So indeed, that's indeed. it. Yeah. Okay, I like that. That's a, uh, a Liverpool fan desperately hoping for some silverware this year. That's good. Yes. Um, NBA playoffs, your team's not there. Champions League final, your team probably won't be there, but they, you know, there's a statistical <laughs> chance. We're pretty good. Um, We're what, pretty... Where are you going next? Where's number one? My number one, uh, and it's always right up there in my rankings, and it's coming up this month. Um, and it's, yeah, it's one of my favorite lifelong sports, everyone. And it's just it, every year, it's a highlight for me. It's the Australian Open. It's tennis in our time zone, which is very rare because it's sort of a European uh, European sport. It seems like most of the event, events are held over there. It's, uh, it's people at the peak of their powers because they've just come off a two-month off-season, so everyone's fresh and healthy. And this year, it's extra sweet because my least favorite tennis player, Novak Djokovic, is getting deported and he always wins it. So there's a little bit more uh, unpredictability this year. Gives a chance for my tennis hero, Rafael Nadal, to win Grand Slam 21 and take the lead and the overall record. And so Nadal actually has a chance to win this year and Djokovic is gone. He always wins it. Um, and it just fires me up to play tennis. It fires me up to get in shape. It's just the perfect boost, perfect start of the year with my lifelong favourite sport, tennis. So Australian Open, always hard to beat, number one for me, and it's happening in the next couple of weeks, so I'm very excited. That's a good tip. I mean, it does mean once you get past January, your favourite sporting moment of the year is already done, which is a little bit sad, but <laughs> certainly the whole I mean, the whole Novak Djokovic scenario is very interesting. Um and he doesn't have too many friends in Australia anyway, uh, and I don't think this is, this whole saga is. I don't think it's going to help his um, his reputation here. Um, I've been looking into this, right? So 
as we speak, as I understand it, is like real like decision time for for Djokovic because he's he's launched this appeal through the court system to try and challenge the reversal of the decision on his visa or the cancellation of his visa or exactly what's happened there. Who knows? Yes. Um, ScoMo wants to blame Victoria. Victoria, <laughs> I think, wants to go, we're like the last people in the world who want Novak Djokovic anti-vaxxer coming into our state. Why would we have forced this to happen? Mm. All of Serbia hates us now. I mean, it's hard to know exactly what's going on. But um, <laughs> according to 7news.com.au, Djokovic will not be moved before 5 p.m. on Thursday. The government barrister has said, so like we've got 55 minutes, I think, for Djokovic to pull something out of his legal hat and mm. um, press his case to be allowed to stay in the country and compete in the Australian Open. Um, there's talk of him being banned from Australia for multiple years. There's, yeah. I, I mean, watch this space. It will be it will be long news long old for the next time that the Book of Sports gets recorded, <laughs> but watch this space and we'll see what happens with Novak Djokovic. Yes, I am um, always. I'm always a bit wary in that he is the number one tennis player in the world, and um, you know, people are a bit lean, a bit uh, more lenient on top top athletes. So maybe he'll miss out this year. I don't think he's going to get banned for multiple years, and I wouldn't be shocked uh, if there was a third backflip and he was back in. But um, yes, I just uh, he's my least favorite of the big three out of him, Nadal and Federer by an absolute mile. He's uh, this is a big call, Tim, and it'll knock you off. You'll fall out of your chair to hear it. I think I like Michael Clark more than I like Novak Djokovic. Um, and so... <laughs> that sound effects for me being knocked off my chair. <laughs> I think yeah. If I had to, if I had to watch or, or meet one of them, I think I'd rather meet um, Clarky, and and we all know how I feel about him. So um, yeah, so there's I'm... a little, there's a little bit of like playing up to the crowd, you know, for you disliking Michael Clark. There is a bit of genuine there, but there's a little bit of, you know, play it up because, you know, it gets a reaction. Novak Djokovic, there's not a whole lot about him yeah. that's particularly likable, especially yes. when you compare him, as you say, to Fedra or Nadal. So, um, yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, yeah. Now, thoughts, Nathan? You are the editor for the sports section of the Sydney Morning Herald tomorrow and... Um, uh, your tennis writer comes to you with the headline for the back of the paper that says, or that, that includes uh, the Novax Djokovic pun, <laughs> right? Are you prepared to go with that or are you saying, no, no, that's too obvious. We've got a better standard from that at insert whatever paper you want to be. Too obvious, Novax Djokovic? No, that's really good. No, I find that, I find that quite funny. Yep. Um, just change his last name from Djokovic to Chokovic, and then you've got the double. You got the um, you got the double sledge, Novak's Chokovic, and um, you know can't get over the final hurdle into Australia and um, coming off a choke in the uh, U.S. Open final last year. So um, something something with Novak's Chokovic as the, as the headline. I uh, don't care what how else you fill out the uh, article, but um, yeah, just that little little double sledge there in the title would be would be very pleasing to me. I'll pass it on to the paper and see what they say for you. That's a good top three, Nathan. The NBA playoffs, the Champions League final with Liverpool, maybe, appearing, and uh, the Australian Open. Who's your tip for the Australian Open if Djokovic is not there? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Nadal because he's mm. just 
the I mean they're old. All the big three are old, but no one has risen up to sort of usurp them over the years. And so, I guess it's one of those things you gotta you gotta see it to believe it. So I'll back Nadal until until he's done, and I think he'll be extra keen to get it now that he knows that the Novak the Novak barrier is potentially been eliminated. He's got he's got everything on the line. So I think um, he's got every bit of motivation to clean up. I like that. I like that. And potentially, you know, again, uh, La Nina, lower mm. temperatures around the place, potentially helpful for the uh, the older players in the yeah, in the open right. draw. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, that's a very good top three. Let me give you my top three, Nathan. Yes, Third place, great. similar to yours in that it's not an event. It is a final series. I am very much looking forward to the AFL final series this year. And the reason why, um, I haven't probably, not that I've had a what I'm most looking forward to list, in previous years. But if I had, the AFL finals wouldn't have been there because I wasn't expecting the Swans to do real damage. But this year, I'm expecting the Swans to finish top four. And when the Swans are playing multiple finals, it is an exciting time to be a sports fan and to be a Swans fan, to be an AFL fan. AFL finals is just about as good as it gets in Australian sport. Not quite, you know, the odd, you know, a great Ashes series overseas or something is... Is probably up there, but a, a good AFL finals run, as Melbourne Demons fans found out last year, that is uh, just about the highlight of an Australian sports fan. So the Swans appearing in the AFL final series in September. That's my third ranked thing. My second. Oh, so who are you? Who are you? Um, who are the threats? Who who's going to cause Sydney trouble and potentially uh, potentially stop them from getting where they want to go? In your opinion. It's very, very um, easy to be swayed by the way that teams finished up last year. Mm. Um, and so if you do that, I mean, Melbourne were just so strong. Um, the Western Bulldogs had a great final series. But I don't know if the Western Bulldogs are going to be the team that's there, thereabouts next year. Um, Geelong will be another finish fourth and get knocked out in straight sets. So there's no <laughs> worries there, but they might steal a top four spot from the Swans. Uh, Melbourne will be a threat. Mm. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. It's, it's hard to say. I don't think Western Bulldogs will be up there. I think Melbourne will. I think Geelong will make top four. I think that the Swans will make top four, which leaves one other place. And look, it'll probably be a little bit of a bolter. It could be a an Essendon or a St Kilda or someone who just clicks mm. in the off-season and they – Get a couple of nice little recruits, and away they go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah they're, find, they're the teams who'll be up there. Yeah, I find it interesting with AFL. Not that I follow it particularly closely, but people seem to uh, teams seem to ascend and descend very quickly, and so I feel like it's not the easiest uh, league to pick year in year out. Um, it just yeah, a team's really good, makes a grand final, and then all of a sudden they're rubbish. Like I think of Fremantle, they randomly made a final in the two thousand and tens, and then they were useless for. For ages like yeah afl teams it's it is it is deceptive to go on how they went uh the year before as, a, as your basis for your prediction but yeah which um i guess that means it's a good system lots of parity if teams are coming up and down really quickly but um yeah it is it is and i think i mean the it, it is a good league because you, you do have different teams who have very distinct playing styles and you need to really commit to multiple years to a playing style to build your squad around it because you have so many players on the field. It's not like a basketball where you go, well, if I get my top five right, I bring in three guys in this offseason, all of a sudden we've got a completely revamped team. It takes it takes years to um, 
to make significant changes. And so that's why a team like Geelong, who have been so committed to a particular brand of um, playing the game, have been so reluctant to go to a complete rebuild because they know, well, we're a, ch- we're a chance at a grand final this year. We're a chance. We're a chance. And then when they've lost grand finals, they go, well, we're a chance. And now they're finishing top four and losing two finals. And they go, yeah, well, we're a chance. Well, <laughs> good luck, Geelong. If you want to stick with the same way this year, same coach, same method, same tactics, same squad. <laughs> You're a year older. Everyone else is a year better. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, it's tricky. It is. I sort of sympathize on that. Is it better to be good year in, year out, or is it better to have real peaks and, and real troughs? And I guess the argument in their head would be if we just keep ourselves there and thereabout, then, you know, we're an ankle sprain or a COVID, you know, COVID outbreak to another team away from stealing a title. So if we just keep ourselves around, you know, we're a couple of lucky breaks from pinching a title. I feel like that would be that would be the counter mentality. <laughs> That's right. And the... Um... Because you've got sort of the, the great alternatives uh, in this year's top four that you've got Geelong who have played this sort of we want to be there every year route. And then there's the Western Bulldogs who rocked up to a final series from seventh place um, in 2016 and said, yeah, we'll take a flag. <laughs> and then didn't win. I mean, I, my head's in cricket mode, not AFL mode at the moment, but I think didn't win a final until this year under Luke mm. Beveridge. And then yeah, got to the grand final and... Um, you know, they were in the game um, yep. before Melbourne decided to start playing again, and then it was uh, <laughs> that was all she wrote. But I mean, very, very yeah, interesting approaches and um, different coaches who take different tactical approaches and different levels of aggressive, uh, you know, aggression and risk, and it's that's why it's a great league and it's a, it's a very interesting league to follow. And it is it's, it is truly hard to know who is going to be up there this year. But as a Swans fan, I'm confident that our trend line is up. And um, we should definitely be aiming at a top four finish this year. So that's number. One. That's my my third place. What I'm most looking forward to. Second is potentially influenced by the fact that we're in the middle of an Ashes series, and I'm watching Big Bash, and everything's cricket at the moment. But <laughs> Australia is touring Pakistan for the first time since 1998, I think it was. Wow. Um, the last time we toured Pakistan, Mark Taylor hit a triple hundred. Ah, so that's this is the the era of cricket that we're going back to for the last time that we played away <laughs> to Pak. Well, sorry, played in Pakistan. We've had away series in the UAE against Pakistan, but um, not in Rawalpindi and Islamabad and some of these mm. um, these great locations. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to to that. I I really want to see how Australia goes on spinning pitches because also this year we have a test series against Sri Lanka away mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, but there's certainly talk of a tour to India um, as well. I don't quite know how that's all going to fit into the year before an Australian summer, but um, considering IPL and whatnot, but there's plenty of subcontinental cricket. Um, and you were talking about the time zone for the Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Um, the time zone for subcontinental cricket in Australia is excellent because it begins mid-afternoon and yes. finishes, you know, stumps is about bedtime. So it's, yes. uh, it's a great Sorry. place to be following cricket um, from Australia. And, I mean, Pakistan is such an interesting test team, so much skill, so little predictability, and <laughs> it'll just be great. So that's my number two. Yeah, that's Australia. Yeah. Australia oh. travelling to Pakistan for that. Now, my number one is 
I had I had to have a look. I was researching for this, Nathan. I researched extensively, extensively for this podcast. I it's had hard a bit of a look now because the Olympics aren't on, so you don't have your obvious number one. So you got to you got to really think about it. So, some would say, some would say that's what makes it hard. It's actually hard. Well, let, let me give you a, let me give you a um, something for nothing. The Winter Olympics are not on my list. <laughs> but we're going somewhere else. Very cold. Okay, Nathan. Because I've done my research and I was looking around what what really is, you know, you can like an AFL final series, sure. You can like a, an Australian test tour away, sure. Those things are very common. What we have in 2022 that is significant for me, considering this is a sport that I've only really properly started to have a grasp at understanding in the last 12 months, we have the British Open at the old course at St Andrews. Ah, uh, nice. And so for the first time in my life, I am going to be following a British Open at the old course with a deeper appreciation for the challenges of playing golf rather than I top every second shot that I play. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, there's so many, um, like world golf is a very tight um, contest at the moment there are australian players who are on the fringe of really breaking through for a, a tournament like that i'd love to see cameron smith or mark leishman or someone have a a real good go at st andrews but just you know a beautiful course and um a course that i've driven next to mm. i've walked down the 18th but i've never played there and um very just really looking forward to seeing to seeing a british open at the old course at st andrews so that's my number one Mm, that's exciting. Yeah, no, a bit of bit of golf, a bit of um, yeah. I mean, I've I've played a fair bit of golf myself, and but I do find it a little bit harder to watch. But I must admit, uh, the fourth day, the fourth day of a major, and um, you know, the Presidents Cup, you know, match play formats of golf can be can be exciting stuff to watch that um, keeps you on the edge of your seat, even though you know it's generally not. Um, not what most people consider edge you seat staff, people standing around and playing golf, but um, it can be when the, when the stakes are high uh, and in the British Open, and particularly if an Aussie's involved or your particular favourite golfer is is there and thereabouts, the the hole by hole battle and score shifts, and you know, oh, this guy had a bogey at the same time as the other guy had a birdie. That's a two shot swing, and yeah, it can it can get exciting. So yeah, I can I can certainly sympathise with that. But you might want to get one of my brothers, either of my brothers, on uh, for that for that pod because they are both obsessed with golf and both pretty good themselves. So they'll have they'll have big skin in the game for that season. What what time of year is that? Uh, the Open is oh, around about middle of the year, mm. I think. Let me just pull that one up. We are looking at. This is a captivating little period of listening for our listeners. <laughs> 2022 British Open is July 14 to 17, middle of the year. There you go. Nice. Um, nice. And I mean, think about the old course. Think about the old course. 1552, that bad boy was established. I mean, yeah. the Champions League final will be always they're often in some really obscure location, aren't they? I don't know if you know where it is next year, but it might be like Ukraine or Poland or something. <laughs> you know, a stadium that's eight years old or four years old. Yeah, great Australian Open, new um, new indoor arenas, I believe, this year at the Australian Open down in Melbourne. Um, AFL cricket, well, some of those Pakistani grounds will be a bit old, but fifteen fifty two. <laughs> it's a just about. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're getting into 
Um, well, this is pre-Book of Sports, actually, Nathan. Yes. <laughs> the Book of Sports, yeah. for those who are not aware of the history of the name of this podcast, comes about from an edict from James the James the first or James the second um, to declare that sports can be played on Sundays and Christians were not sure, quite sure what to think about that. That happened in the 1600s, I believe. The old course was in existence then, Nathan. Wow. Wow. It's, um, it coincides. I mean, 1552, that's I mean, a book of common prayer for us Anglicans, isn't it? It so, is. It is. It is. It's all, it's all, you know, it's all tied in. So um, yeah, we got to, we got to support it. Yeah. While the Anglicans in England were writing the book of common prayer, the Presbyterians in Scotland were inventing golf. Uh, which ones is more impressive? I don't know. I'll have, to, I'll have to debate it out. Yeah. I just love the nostalgia of the fact that this, it's the original golf course of the world and it still hosts, you know, it's still up there with like, you know, the sport, the courses that um, every golfer wants to play at. So um, beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Um, our attention now turns though, Nathan, now that we've got our three, two, ones underway and we would love to hear from our listeners uh, through the Book of Sports social channels as to what you're looking forward to this year when it comes to sport. Um, real quickly, because this is blowing out as an episode, real quickly, what is your personal sporting goal for 2022? Oh, yes, for me, I want to, it's not so much a time, actually, it's quantity. I want to run 4,000 kilometres this year. So that's about 11 kilometres a day, but uh, 4,000 is just a nice round number, and it's more than I've ever done before. So running 4,000 kilometres across the year. What is what is 4,000 divided by 52? Uh, 76.92307. Okay, so that, that many kilometres per week. Yeah. yeah. So just under 11Ks a day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How many Ks have you done so far? Not many, but um, um, I've been isolating, so it's been hard to get off to a cracking start. But um, Mate, Your yeah, personal but... goal is not isolating, so you've got to catch it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, I think so, yeah. I think we'll build over time, and I think generally for me, March through September, a little bit cooler. Um, you survive summer, you just do as much as you can uh, when the weather allows you. And then March through September and October, you can really, you can really break the back of your, of your mileage because the weather's more nice and you can, you can run any time of the day as opposed to summer like you have to run in the morning or you will melt. So, um, yeah, it get, it's easier as the year goes on. Um, so those, those middle eight months, March through October, is where you've got to, I've got to really break the back of it. But, Four thousand uh, days. Yes. Can we follow that on your Strava or something, Nathan? You can. You can. And, uh, yeah. So what about you? Uh, my my personal goal for 2022 is to play every game of AFL that I am available for uh, so I don't miss any games through injury. Mm. Um, I'm denied about whether I go back to AFL again this year as I'm about to be a father, mm, hopefully within the next so, month. Yeah, I'm, so good. You know, church is ramping up and so i thought oh you know will i go back to afl i probably won't be able to train with any sort of regularity on tuesday or thursday nights but i thought nah we'll give it a go yeah old, old man body we've just got to hope it holds together so i have to do a little bit of my own work to make sure i'm ready for game day but the thing is once you get into the the swing of an afl season it takes until you know it takes until thursday or friday after a game to really feel yourself again i'm not going to go yes. for a run the day before a game so It'll be interesting to see um, just how the body holds up. But that's the goal, not to miss an AFL game through injury in 2022. I thought for sure it'd be a golf handicap goal, but there you go. I'm surprised. Good on you. Well, I don't think I'm going to be playing as much golf this year because I don't. I just don't have the time for it, Nathan. I've been playing a lot over the last seven weeks. So I've been on leave. 
Um, yeah. And the handicap sitting at 26, that's not coming down quick. So um, <laughs> I think we'll, we'll move on to other sports and just appreciate watching the pros play golf. I think that'll be the, the general plan. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, but Nathan, it, it helps us to think because we do often think about these things. Yeah, We make New Year's resolutions and say, this is what I'm going to do this year. This is what I'm looking forward to this year. Uh, this is what's going to be different. I'm going to change this habit. We, you know, we're, we generally like to live with a bit of optimism about the future and look forward, uh, especially in uh, the the West. You know, it's a it's an optimistic culture to be in, and we look forward to things. Uh, always, you know, we're given the the advice: don't dwell on your past. Look towards the future. And our argument in this episode, Nathan, is that that is a very very Christian idea. Um, and yeah, your reflections on that. Where where does looking forward to things come? Where does that intersect with a Christian worldview? Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think you're right. It's 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 good uh, to look forward, uh, and I think um, the unique thing about Christianity is that yeah, you have so much to look forward to uh, as a Christian, and so. Um, yeah, and it's a really amazing thing, and it transforms you uh, in the present as well. I, uh, one of my favorite verses from Scripture is in um, uh, 2 Corinthians where Paul says, you know, he's sorrowful right now. His life is miserable. He's in prison. He's got worries. He's got concerns. And so he's sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. And so the Christian hope, uh, one through, you know, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and, and forgiveness and eternal life means that, you have joy and hope uh, in all circumstances of life. So when life's going well, you enjoy the present and you still have hope for the future. And when life is going terrible, like it was for uh, for the Apostle Paul, he can he can still be rejoicing. He can be sorrowful, going through a really hard season and rejoicing at the same time. And so, yeah, the Christian hope, yeah, it's it's, it's a very unique thing where you can't it can't be taken away. You can always be rejoicing even through the worst seasons. And so even if all three of my sporting things I'm looking forward to don't go the way I want to, you know, I can always be rejoicing and, and looking forward. And yeah, and the Christian hope is so special as well in that you have things to rejoice from the past. You know, Jesus loving you and, and coming to earth and dying for you. You can rejoice in the past. You can rejoice in, in God's goodness to you in the present. And you always have the hope for the future as well. And so I think it's it's special. Yeah, it's a, it's a really unique and special hope that uh, Christianity offers to look forward to. I think you're bang on. And I want to pick up and back up, pick up on and back up that comment that it's a unique worldview or a, a unique feature because I'm, my guess is most people listening to this, I'd say, of course, you know, we're going to the future, right? Everything in Western society lives on the assumption that there there was a beginning to things. The vast majority, you know, scientific worldview says big bang of some sort. Most would say that. Others would say that there's some form of, you know, design, but there was some creation point. That there was some sort of coming into being point. Then there's where we are now, and then we're going to a future where eventually, you know, there'll be some sort of Armageddon, there'll be some sort of event that ends human civilization, whatever. And so we, we, we go, well, we sort of, we all work in this idea that we're moving towards a, a future. Um, not that that's a particularly uh, positive idea of the future, you know, that, oh, the world's going to destroy, you know, that's what's, that's what's coming ahead. Um, but the... Other worldviews from around the world 
would say things like time is circular because of reincarnation. You know, when you die, you come back as something else. And that's and the best way to understand the way that the world functions is not linear, past, present, future, but is recurring, right? There's a new dawn, there's a new day. And so you look at the seasons and you look at the way that every year rolls around and you go, life is circular, patterns is circular, this is how you do it. Um, and then there are other worldviews that have the past, present, future um, shape to it, but they don't have the positivity of the end. They don't have the something we can look forward to with confidence. So either it's that sort of nihilistic, uh, materialistic worldview that says, well, there only is what there is, and then one day it's all going to be gone, and so we might as well enjoy ourselves where we are. And that's how a lot of people, I mean, that's essentially the worldview of many people. It boils down to the best way to live is to get as much enjoyment out of the present as I can. And that makes sense if the future is bleak yeah. or if the future is unknowable or if the future is non-existence, which is pretty bleak in my point, in my, yes. in my point of view. Mm. Islam or other, you know, um, you know, Catholicism arguably, there's it's past, present, future, but there's no certainty about the future. There's, well, there will be a reckoning where you will come before the judge and you will sort of, you know, weigh up, you know, have you completed the five pillars of Islam? Have you done more good than evil? Have you done yada, yada, yada? Um, you know, have you uh, loved God enough from yourself? Have you had shown enough grace to others in the Catholic worldview? And so there's the, the possibility of paradise or heaven, but it's not certain. Jonathan Edwards, who was a British theologian who lived in the United States for most of his life, well, it wasn't the United States then, it was 1700, so he was in New England, I think. Yep. Um, he preached his first sermon. Now, I think I've got this story right, Nathan. He preached his first sermon at age 18. And you go, well, you know, what's an 18-year-old going to come up with when it comes to <laughs> a sermon? Three points. That's a good start for a sermon. Yep. Yep. Point one. Well, sorry, and the, the title of the sermon was Christians Should Be Happy. Oh, oh come on, mate. Come happy, on. Christians should be happy. Yeah, goodness. Right. What would he know? All right. We'll sort of sit through his first sermon and then give him some stern, honest feedback after it. Right. That's what the man in the pew is thinking. Anyway, this is what a young Jonathan Edwards preaches. Christians should be happy. Why? Three points. One, your bad things will turn out for good. Romans 8, 28. Right. It says, even in your sufferings, God is working through them and is working for you, you know, working for your good. Uh, for we know uh, through all things that God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And so the Christian can know even when things suck for you at life at the moment, God is going to use those bad things for your good. Mm. Looking forward to the future. There's good that God is working through the bad things. That's point one of John Edwards. He's made a, good start, a, a decent start, the 18-year-old. <laughs> he might have some promise. Point number two, your good things can never be taken away from you. That is the things that you have in Christ right now, which are the very best things in your life, as you said, Paul, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, the things that he's rejoicing about can't be taken away from you because mm -hmm. what are they going to do to Jesus? Are they going to kill him again? Right? He's shown that he rises from the dead. You can't touch him. He's the indefeatable champion. So your good things can never be taken away from you because they are guaranteed by God himself in his son. Going all right, Jonathan Edwards, 18-year-old, <laughs> your bad things will turn out for good. Your good things can never be taken away from you. And the best is yet to come wow. because Christians live with this certain hope, this certain knowledge that eternity will be glorious, not because we'll be full of pleasure as an end in itself, but because we'll be with our creator, we'll be with our savior Christ and we will delight in him forever because he's the most delightable 
<laughs> delight filled. We are delight filled in his presence. And so just a little example for that, Nathan, why this is so unique and why people listening to this, Christian, skeptic, not sure but interested to listen in. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 to 14 talks about uh, the topic of death and it's talking, it's Christians who are worried um, and they're sad and they're grieving because they've they've lost people who are precious to them and, and in the Thessalonian church they're not sure of exactly where um, those people are or whether what's going to happen to them. And so Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have not hope, have no hope. And so Paul's not saying there that we don't grieve. In fact, it's a really important thing for Christians to grieve like everyone because we grieve what we have lost. We've lost this fellowship with this person. This person is no longer with us. It's important that we grieve that. Actually, it's a really important sort of psychological thing for ourselves to do. It's a good process to go through, which is why I'm not all that big on celebration services, but do your own thing, I suppose. It's important to grieve and mourn, and funerals are good for that. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And because of the promise that Christians have, that when they die, they know that they will be with Christ and Christ will bring them with him when he returns and he ushers in his kingdom. Christians grieve for their loved ones who love Christ, knowing that the best is yet to come for them. Mm. And Nathan, you will know this as well as I do, that Christian funerals are some of the most somber and seriously joyful events that you can ever possibly go to. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they're very, yeah, it's a real mixed, yeah, I mean, that sorrowful yet always rejoicing verse really rings true there and that you are really sad. Uh, often you've lost someone you've respected or loved or, or cared about and so you're so sorrowful and yet, yeah, your joy for them, you know, I think it's Paul as well in Philippians 1, you know, so to, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so, you know, they've got that to die is gain for them. And so you're so sad for the person who you're no longer living with here. And yet you're so joyful of, of the hope that they have and that uh, they have gained uh, by dying because they're now uh, in the presence of Jesus for all eternity. And yeah, it's, um, yeah, they're, they're somber, but they're, they're, it's a very joyful, um, yeah, very joyful experience at the same time. So, yeah, they're, they're really, really special and interesting because it's, yeah, it's just such mixed emotions, so much sadness and yet so much joy and hope at the same time. Amen, brother. Amen. And that's why we look forward to things in the West. I think that's true. You know, it's a carryover from the fact that we are living in a culture that is shaped by positively looking to the future. Mm. And, um Certainly for Christians, we have every reason to do that, not just with sport in 2022, which we, we do do, <laughs> but with a great confidence for our eternal future. And, um, yeah, what a, great, what a great comfort that is, knowing that our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken away from us, and the best is yet to come. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, I, I'm just comparing the things I was thinking about as an 18-year-old compared to what um, Jonathan Edwards just preached. Uh, so, um 
Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing and humbling. Uh, I was more worried about um, how good I was at FIFA and he's out there preaching that sermon. So anyway. Well, the, the, the best was yet to come, Nathan. Sorry. <laughs> Some people are just more switched on. So um, that's I'm, right. I'm grateful to God for Jonathan Edwards that there was a guy so much better than me. Indeed, um, we uh, the best things are yet to come for the book of sports in 2022 as well. We are obviously kicking off season two when the football season start, and we'll be looking forward to doing a back into the regular swing of things uh, weekly episodes when that comes. We might have another emergency pod uh, or two before then. We'll see how things go. Um, so stay tuned to the social channels and uh, stay alert but not alarmed with Omicron. And the best is yet to come. So we'll see you then. See you later.